Hey, this is Big Lou. And when I'm on the internet, I'm listening to Jack Dapper Blues. I'm Dietrichar, listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Everybody, this is Adam Gusso. Hi, I'm Veronica Jackson, America's acoustic folk blues singer. You're listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hello, this is Ray Brooks. You're listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hi, this is Guy Davis. Hey there, folks, this is Don Flynn of the American Songster, slapping the dap with Jack Dapper Blues. Hey everybody, this is Walter Trout, and you are listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hey, this is Shamika Copeland. Hey, I'm Ben Turner of Piedmont Blues. I'm here with Valerie Turner. And we are bluesing with Lamont Jack Parley, the best radio station for true blues. Hi, I'm Larry Griffin, and I keep it locked and loaded on Jack Dapper Blues. Yes, yes, yes. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, blues people? Another, another, another episode of Jack Dapper Blues. And before we get into it, just want y'all to know I am keeping consistent with my Super Reds challenge. <laughs> the information will be in the description. If you need energy or your daily servings of fruits and vegetables, that is the drink for you. Now, on to my special guest, because what we do here is platform blues people and the descendants of blues people and the practitioners of what I like to call African-American or black traditional music. So today I have my brother from Louisiana, D.K. Harrell. What's happening, my brother? Oh, nothing much. Just living here in the snow for a little bit. We're not snowed in, but it's you know a little bit of snow outside. We're doing all right. How about yourself? Yeah, likewise, man. This is some snow up here, and uh, well, down here, coming from New York City, um, this is not the worst snow I've seen. But I'm not complaining. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it is. I'm not complaining at all because it could be worse. So (laughs) that's right. That's right. So now you you have an interesting story, bro, because. You were literally grandfathered into the blues. So let's just jump into your story, man. Yeah, I guess you could say that my uh, when I was when I was born, I was born April 24th, 98. My my father wasn't there to be present because at the time he was working uh 12 hour shifts. But my grandfather was there, my mother's father was there, and his name was C.H. Jackson. So my mom and my aunt came up with my name, which was DeKaren. It has an apostrophe D in it. So it's the apostrophe K, so on. So my grandfather looked at the name and he said, well, since my name is CH, I'm going to nickname him DK. And for a long time, just as a toddler, I wouldn't talk. <laughs> I wouldn't talk to save anybody. They would try everything. They tried books. They tried TV talking to me, and it just wouldn't work. I would just grunt. Uh, But to make a long story short, my grandfather gave uh, my mother uh, B.B. King's album, Deuces Wild. He said, listen to this CD. You know, while you're on the road, I bet you he'll be quiet the whole time. 
So we were going to Monroe, Louisiana, which uh, they have a mall out there. And apparently on the way to Monroe, this is the story the way I've always heard it. They kept hearing a little voice in the background singing the thrill is gone. <laughs> and when they would turn it down, it would stop and turn it back up. Uh, it would, you know, continue. And so they finally decided, they said, let's turn it halfway and see what their noise is. So they turned around. It was me in my car seat singing the thrill is gone. <laughs> So that's how I learned to talk was through music. So um, a, a friend of mine told me that uh, she said, well, maybe it's, you know, frequencies, because they always say we have, we have this frequency, you know, that we that calms us down, frequencies that make us do this, frequencies that make us do that. And she said, maybe that was just the frequency that you connected with and could respond with the most. So that's the story of how I fell into blues and, you know, <laughs> That's how I started talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because what we try to do is raise the point that this is generational as a heritage, as a tradition, as a culture. Um, very rarely do you hear it mentioned as a uh family or better yet, a mechanism for 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 uh growth of children right so that's yeah. very very uh telling as as the power of our traditional expression right oh yeah very powerful it's a to me i've always just had a thing for music i, I guess from that just that experience alone is the pure definition that you know you can talk to a baby and they won't understand the words you're saying, but as soon as you turn on some music, they'll start moving. You know, they'll start reacting to it faster than somebody saying, say dad, ass, say mama. You know, it's just something about it. So it is a very, it's, it's powerful. It's, it's a really powerful source. People don't understand it. It's very powerful. So now with that being said, were you from the beginning a bluesman? Did you dabble in our other uh, cultural expressions and then return? How, how was that journey? Well, with uh, being reared at, at the time when, when I was, you know, a toddler, after I learned to talk through music, uh, my stepfather's mother, uh, Kathleen Brooks, would have these family functions. And a cousin of mine, Greg Bridges, would be there and they would always play what's considered old school music. Um, you know, Sam Cooke, James Brown, just, just, you know, just on and on. So every time James Brown would come on, I would <laughs> really be in my underwear at five and six years old and a, you know, white t-shirt and socks in the middle of the kitchen of this family function doing James Brown. So, so you would get the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I would get the feeling, you know, and I feel good. <laughs> and, and it was just, and then with that happening, and then also um, my mom's mother taking us to church in Mount Pisgah. That church is a very historical church in my life and in anybody else's life who's been there because it's actually been there since slavery. Oh, they wow. haven't changed a thing about it. Uh they just, you know, refurbished a lot of the furniture. But the pulpit, just everything is from the 1800s there. 
and they never had a band. You know, most churches have a piano player, drummer, et cetera. We never had, we had, we had that real old school church of just when it was time for uh, the hymn, you know, somebody was just bust out singing. And that's how I really got into uh, gospel music. And then once we went to uh, other churches for revival and they had bands, you know, I was like, man, these guys are really cooking, you know, but the singers are not on point, you know, because <laughs> a band would be, you know, blasting over the singers or the singers would be trying to strain themselves to be over the band. So it was always nice to hear uh, my grandmother, uh, Vera Jackson, uh, you know, just hum those tunes, you know, and sing those tunes to us from uh, the hymn book or just, you know, just from her memory. And it's, man, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it brings back a lot of memories for me because when you, like I said, people don't understand how powerful music is, but I did dab in the R&B and gospel and I didn't really start getting into pop so much if you want to consider this pop, it was more like a 60s pop, like uh, Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. I least to what some people call uh, classy blues or classy, you know, rhythm and blues or classic pop because those guys really could. <laughs> like when I hear, I mean, even though Frank Sinatra was, you know, Caucasian male, he had a black band back. You know, he put in, you know, he really opened a lot of doors for Count Basie, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Louis Armstrong, he, even B.B. King. You know, he even got B.B. on the Las Vegas Strip. So it's like when you dab into all these different artists and learn their backgrounds and the history they made along the way, it kind of makes you go, you know, I want to be that important to somebody or a group of people, you know, but the best way to do it is by helping yourself, but also helping others along the way. Right. You know, I, I cannot say I've gotten this far on a, uh, I guess you say popularity basis by myself. Like, no, I have other people to credit for that. And it only goes with family. It goes with friends, other fellow musicians. And, you know, some of these people I don't talk to or break bread with every day, but they have a place in my heart because, here I am, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could be doing something totally worse in the world, but here I am, you know, at home working and picking up my guitar every day and saying, man, I can't wait for this COVID stuff to be over. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you ready yeah, to take it to the stage? Yeah. Ready to take it to the stage again. Uh, I actually had, uh, back in July, we had the first annual blues retreat. Uh, which I'm pretty sure you saw with John Tavius, Marquise Knox. Yes. Uh, it was, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I was, what's what I'm looking for, not satisfied with people that show up, because anybody that shows up, I'm happy that they show up. I, what I wish is that the pandemic wasn't happening, so we could have had more people, because to me, they had to be one of the most magical things or magical events that I'd ever seen. Because here we were, roughly, I think it's six of us, that were there six young African-American men saying, hey, we play the blues too. And we can play it just as good as anybody else. I mean, that, that, that week in Mississippi at the Fox Fire Ranch was just, 
I mean, we really put on a show so good that we actually sat back. John Tavis, after the first the first night, he actually came into our cabins and he said, "This one of the best shows I've ever seen." Mm. And he performed too. That's what's funny about it. He performed too. <laughs> and I feel like, man, if a if a young cat that was Grammy nominated tell you that was the best show, you know, best show he saw, then you must have some great potential. Right. Right. You know, so right. it, I mean, I'm not pulling out the race card, but for African American people, this is our music. I don't care what anybody says. It it came from the home of Africa. So, you know, I I, I don't bring race into it really. You know, if you white and you play the blues, you white and you play the blues. But you can't necessarily say that it was white who created. Because it's just not true. It's just not factorial true. It's just not. Well, it's not I true. Mean, but it's not true. Let me ask you a question, though, on, on that note. Because you raise a very important uh, topic. Yeah. How important... I don't even know how, how, how I could word this. Does it feel like... Presently, currently the legacies and the children of the blues, which is us, that we have to mm-hmm. prove our worth in our own space because it's occupied by someone else. Does it feel like that? I will be honest with you, yes, it does. Because, and uh, when I, this example is not, putting him down because we were great friends. A prime example is Kingfish. Kingfish, as of right now, you know, if you, nine times 10 now, if you come across somebody and you say, hey, do you know any blues players? They'll just bring up one name. Oh, I know Kingfish. And that's it. But they won't say, oh, I know John Tavis Willis. I know Marquise Knox. You know, I know this individual, I know that. You know, Solomon, you know, I believe his name is Solomon Hicks. You know, they don't say Solomon that. Hicks. They just say Kingfish. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I feel like if, if society did his research and gave us a chance and saw that, hey, these guys are a force of nature and they play this genre, you know, just as great as fish, you know, and just as bad as fish, you know, these cats are you know, dynamite. Then I feel like then in the present, we could bring some more spotlight, not only to the blues, but also to our own people right. that are our ages younger. Because I've met many of my peers and I tell them I'm a blues musician and they go, oh, so you play Southern Soul. No, <laughs> there's a difference. <laughs> no, I don't play that because here in the South, Southern Soul is very big and I'm not yeah. down in it, but no, that's not what I play. And they're like, okay, so what you mean? And I start naming people. Well, you know, like B.B. King, John Lee Hook, you know, uh, uh, we listen to Ma Rainey, Robert Johnson, et cetera. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know those people. Or they might say, oh, I've heard of B.B. King. My grandmother listened to him. And I say, oh, thank God. You know? Right, <laughs> right, then, you know, right. just wonders. But I feel like with the ones who are coming up now, Fish, John Tavis, Marquise, all of us in this click this kind of, you know, the spotlight one of touches, but it's just not on us yet, you know? Right, right, right. You know, so, I well, feel like if we do that, yeah. 
We'll be I, I didn't mean. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I and you kind of uh, alluded to this in regards to it being society, the system, or the business yeah. of musical entertainment as a whole. It seems like they can only, and again, Kingfish is nice, so he's supposed to be where he's at. But yeah. what 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 I'm saying is, and I believe we're saying the same thing. The, the business of entertainment, the, the way society and the system runs, it can only be one black person lifted up at one time. It can never be the collective. Is this what, are, are we in the same ballpark here? Yes, honestly, because it's the same way in Hollywood when it comes to actors. You have this one you know black comedian that comes out and they are a hit for the next five to 10 years. And then it might get quiet a while. And then this another black comedian comes and they're hit for five or 10 years. I feel like if John Voigt, Brad Pitt, uh, Matthew McConaughey can all get nominated for Oscars at the same time, then how come John Tavis Willis, Kane Fish, Marquise Knox and Solomon Hicks all get nominated for a Grammy at the same time? And I tell the guys all the time, when I say guys, um, the men of the young musicians who was at Foxfire, I tell them all the time, I want us all to be on that grammar list. I want people to go, where did these guys come from? Who are these guys? You know, I, it's almost like I said, a force of nature. So yes, I do feel that they do this, not, not just not your, not your turn, not your turn. Right. We'll have him and then, like, no, I, I want everybody to have their cake and eat it, too, <laughs> because this is a business. Because if you have, I mean, it's the same way with back in the day. When Barry Gordy did Motown, it wasn't just the Temptations, that was it. Right. Everybody was making hits. Yeah. You know, the Temps be on, you know, let's say four, five weeks on the trust, and boom, Marvin Gaye drops a bomb. Then, you know, Diana Ross and the Supremes drop a bomb. You know, the Four Tops drop a bomb. It's just like, that's what we need today. We know we need that whole, because right now, 2020 to now has been, to me, the most pro-Black active years I've ever seen. Mm. Because with George Floyd passing, or some may, you know, correct me and say murder, however you want to put it. I mean, you had countries marchers with us. Not just sit, you had countries. And I feel like if countries can do this, if the world can do this, we can definitely do it in the music business. We can definitely do it in the Hollywood. It doesn't need to just be one. It needs to be all of because <laughs> that's who we are. Right. I mean, it's our thing. You, you know, we, we gotta be, we gotta be tighter than tight. Yes, we know the business is shady. We know society is shady. But again, we have to be a force of nature. We have to tell, just like with, you know, racism, highly in the 50s and 60s, a lot of artists were turned down because they were black, but they still performed. Right. They still did what they had to do. So I feel like if if we need to get out there, of course, we're going to do what we do. We're going to push out. We're going to put everything on social media. We're going to try to get it out there as much as possible. Hey, man, can you share this for me? Oh, yeah. How about you share this for me? It's an exchange. Yeah. We both giving and getting at the same time. And 
nowadays we just don't have that because we we live in a very messed up and selfish society. I have to say it, right. but it's true. Right, it's, it's very individualistic. You can, yeah. you can only we we've uh, collectively adapted that that school of thought. Now, I, I want to jump ship something similar, but something I find a little bit more important. And you mentioned this as well when you speak to uh, uh, black folk in your age range. They don't know who any of these blues people are when you say you play the blues it's like what southern soul um so this is a two-part question how does it feel when, when, when you speak to black people and they're not aware well black people our people and they're not aware of our traditional expression and what what measures do you take to try to uh introduce them to this <laughs> the measure I take, because uh, one thing I've learned is you can never force anything on anybody. Right. You can't you can't make them do something they don't want to do. So I don't do the whole thing where you can be with a friend and say, uh, oh, yeah, what you listening to? I'll listen to this new Drake song. Oh, well, you should listen to it. That's not what I do. <laughs> because, of course, nine times ten, they're going to say, I don't want to listen to this song. You know, or they forget about it. Right. I do is I'll be in, in, in my car. And I have my Bluetooth with my phone hooked up and have my uh, playlist on shelf. So they will hear all the different muses and all the different blues songs. And I'll be, you know, I'll just be jamming. And they, who is this? Oh, this buddy guy. <laughs> oh, he from Louisiana. Okay, that's nice. I like that bass line. Yeah, there's such and such on bass. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, he recorded out of chess. And I feel like if you just have that kind of Almost forcing, but not really for just that natural. They catch on to it because I noticed with our with my peers and my age range, they they really like to uh, specify on bass. So like one day I was playing Albert King's Cold Feet, mm. and that bass line was sampled by a rapper I can't remember who. Probably Big Daddy Kane, maybe. Be I be believe it, Big Daddy Kane. And he said, man, this Big Daddy Kane beat. I said, no, that's Albert King's beat. <laughs> he right. said, no, it's Big Daddy Kane. I said, check. So he looked around, I don't think the song came out in like 68 or 69, something like that. And he was like, man, I didn't know, you know, that they were stealing beats from that. I was like, yeah, about 90 to 95% <laughs> of rap music, you know, rap beats come from, quote unquote, the good music. Because <laughs> I'm an old soul. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, but that's how I get them hip to it is just, you know, naturally just playing it because it's a part of me and it's just who I am. And nine times ten of you around me, that's what you don't hear. <laughs> right, right, but, right. Uh, another way is if we're chilling at my place and I have my guitar with me, I'll just be, you know, feeling with it because I have nothing else to do. And I, oh, man, I like the way you play. And I say, well, a lot of people say I play like BB. And then I show them a clip of being like, oh, man, he getting out like him. A cousin of mine doesn't listen to blues at all. Everything in his phone is like that rough trap music and all that. He has one blues song on his phone because of me. And there's Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City by Bobby Bland. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, it, it, that, it, that made a resurgence too, though, you know. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. 
he 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 jams that. Oh, oh, and he also jams. Uh, I wouldn't treat a dog the way you treated me. Mm. And he just be feeling. He be like, "Hey, hey, cuz, look what I'm listening to." I'm just like, "Go ahead, do your thing," you know. <laughs> so, and I even get my, you know, my close immediate cousins and you know brothers and sisters hip to it, and they're just like, "Yeah, I, I can listen to this." You know, I like it, so it makes me feel good. I know that if I can do it without I'm playing the music myself or playing it on uh, the radio, or whatever. We can get our young people into it. So, coming out of Louisiana, is there a lot of blues in your neck of the woods? I know for me, it's been a while since I've been down that way. But when we we go to New Orleans and Harvey and Belrose, mm. there's a lot of blues being played, a lot of black spiritual. Now, that just could be my, what my people's playing. But do you find uh, blues prevalent is it is it a generational thing i feel it is a generational thing it is not very i'll be honest with you i played at a club back in 2019 after i came from mississippi here in bolger city Shreveport, and <laughs> only and these were kind of older cats. They were all, they was, it was a mixed age group, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And the kicker to me was this. They asked if we could play Never Make a Move too soon. Mm. I said, oh, yeah. I said, let's do it in F. And the bass player, who was maybe 50, 60 years old, had never heard the song before. Wow. And he said, how does the bass go? So I did it to him in his ear. And he said, okay, I can do that. And he was doing it, but he was doing it his own way. But he he had it in the pocket. I won't lie. And the young drummer, uh, we after that song, which did pretty well, we did a slow blues. The young drummer didn't know how to play slow blues. Mm. So it was um, it wasn't difficult because, you know, they call on quick. But I can tell that with the with blues not being really popular in Louisiana like that, except for when you go to, like you say, the Harvey, New Orleans, um, up north. When somebody say blues, like I said, it's regarded to Southern So It's a generational. I feel like if we, I mean, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be forced. Just sit down every once in a while and I tell my peers is if your grandparents are alive, talk to them. And they'll be like, why? Talk to them. Well, me and my grandmother, we do talk. We laugh and stuff. No, talk to them. Ask them things like, hey, grandma, who is your favorite artist, you know, back when you were young? And you're going to hear a baby. We had Al Hibner, <laughs> Cat Calloway, Louis Jordan. Louis Jordan. You know, you're going to hear that. And I feel like if it was more of that, you know, we would have more blues lovers. We would have more classic soul singers. We would have more classic R&B singers, you know, because some some present-day artists bring it out a little bit. Right. You know, uh, Alicia Keys may bring it out. Uh, John Legend may bring it out. Even Usher Gary may Clark bring out Jr. a tone. Yeah, Gary Clark, especially Gary Clark, because... 
I, I'm not going to doubt it. With Gary uh, doing, I can't remember. I think the movie he did was called Honey Dripper, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Where he plays a blues. And I watched it actually last year. And I said, wow. And nobody kind of really knew who Gary Clark was. And now look at him now, you know, he I think he took on two or three Grammys, you know, off this land. Right. But that so, was the blues. Yeah, but it was, you know, some some would consider it not blues. But, and, I, but and, to and me, I still to, credit it as just to be clear, I don't I didn't mean to cut you off, but just to be clear, just because at least for me, it doesn't classify as blues doesn't mean it wasn't tight. He's a dope musician. Yeah. You know, that, so I just wanted to, be, I just had to make that disclaimer because I wasn't, oh, no. you know, but you there is a blues. It's, it's not considered blues, but I tell people all the time that, because they even would do Fish the same way. Oh, he's too rock. He's, oh, he's just too rock. Mm. Another thing is this. I play very similar to B. I get backlash. Fish told me himself he gets backlash. But my thing is this, and I'm just going to have to throw it out there. When Stevie Ray Vaughan was stealing Albert King licks, nobody said a word. Okay, now. <laughs> now, some people may get upset, but it's true. Nobody said a word. And he was considered, you know, at the height of his career, or the, the developing height of his career before he passed in that helicopter accident. You know, he was considered at the time one of the best blues players. You know, or the best at the time. I feel like this. Yes, there's always going to be a hater. There's always going to be a down talker. It's always. Even when you wake up in the morning, somebody's going to say, man, I wish you didn't wake up. You know, but it's the fact that it's a double standard. Right. So it's okay for him to be loud and still in licks, but it's not okay for me to be loud and still in licks. Hmm. Oh, I know what the problem is. You don't want to say it, but I know what the problem is. Right, right. I know what the problem is. Right. I know what the problem is. So, like I said, it's it's not a it's it's not me saying white players are not good. Hispanics that play the blues are not good. My own people who play no, it's not saying that. It's just give credit where credit is due. No, you're 100% right. I mean, there's black folk that can't play the blues. You you, you can't, just because you're black is not a default, you're a bluesman, exactly. a blues woman. <laughs> yeah. you, you know? But I hear I hear my Caucasian associates always say, oh, well, you know, black people have, they always are on beat on rhythm. That's a lie, because I've seen a lot of offbeat black people. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I've seen a lot of on beat white people. So you can't really say that. It's just a, it's like I said, it's a double standard in the whole, you know, popularity thing. Like I said, if Stevie can do it, what's the problem with us doing? Well, you we know, but you you raise a very legitimate question, and it goes that it goes so deep because now you know that. I cannot remember if it was Cicero Brown or Eddie the Chief, one of these older legends, one of the elders I had the honor and privilege to interview. I could be way off. It could have been someone else that I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, but someone in that age group 
was explaining to me uh, what he witnessed throughout the years. And he was like, you know, when he was coming up, all everybody knew black folks slaying guitars. And everybody mm-hmm. wanted to play, including white people or whoever they were, wanted to play like these great black guitarists. As they were able to, and when I say they, those who promote, those who book shows and things of this nature, they was able to switch the playing field. It got to a point where, you know, when they were having these festivals and white kids were going with their parents, seeing these black men on, these older black men on stage getting busy, they was like, I didn't know black people played the guitar. Yeah. And he said the next phase of that was when he started noticing that black guitarists coming up, right? And I believe this was after the 80s, maybe the late 80s through the 90s, he started noticing these black guitarists imitating white guitarists who were imitating black guitarists. But they didn't know. (laughs) You know, it's like this real crazy cycle. You know what I mean? And and I think it's very important for us to be seen you know, I really do. Yeah, I agree with that. So now, are you working on an album currently? What's going on with you musically? Honestly, I've never recorded a day <laughs> in my life so far. Um, but I will say this: that there are some plans. Of course, I, I can't give too much, but there are some plans. Hopefully, within this year, depending on how it goes. That some material may be out. Um, I will say this also with music. Uh, I've written on a lyric basis roughly 300 plus songs. I've Mm. been writing songs since I was a sophomore in high school. And I mean, it's about two or three notebooks just full of tones. And now that I have (laughs) technology in my hand, and I'm not in a notebook all day. I have a app called uh, Rhymer's Block where you can write, you know, poetry or your songs in there and it helps you out a little bit. So it's probably 20 or 30 songs in that. So uh, I feel when the time comes, I'll be prepared <laughs> because I have enough material for maybe two or three albums. But, but yeah, music, I've just been at home just playing on some stuff. Uh, I have I've had a lot of teachers. One of my biggest teachers is John Tavius Willis. And he's in Georgia. I'm in Louisiana. And you probably think to yourself, well, how do you learn things? <laughs> we get on the phone on speaker, and he'll say, Okay, I'm gonna teach you this chord. This is your, your such and such chord. You're gonna put that finger there, that finger here, and that finger there. You get in, and he say, "Okay, now play." Yeah, then, I've had those conversations with him too. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, and I, t- I like I always give, like I said, I give credit where credit is due. He has been a big help. Uh, Jay Hop, which I'm pretty sure uh, you've been. Uh, I'm familiar with Jay Hop. Jay Hop is he's taught me a lot. Stephen Hull has taught me a lot. 
uh, taught me a lot. Sean McDonald's taught me a lot. Uh, Dylan Tribble. I just like how we all pick off each other because it makes me think of how grandmothers and grandfathers used to go to their gardens and pick the spices and pick the vegetables and, you know, say, hey, I'm going to make a nice gumbo tonight. We all a gumbo of not only the past bluesmen who passed on, but we're also a gumbo of ourselves and what we are going to be. Right. And musically, it is, it is overwhelming. When I was in Mississippi, the spirit was so high, as they said. The night I had to leave, I cried. Mm. It wasn't, a, oh, I'm crying because I need attention. These were real, like, I'm going to miss y'all. I don't want this to stop, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because on, on a music level with these guys, it's, it's magical. It's more than, it, I won't lie, it's a more than life itself thing. Annette Hollowell, who's with the Foxfire Ranch, she said, your ancestors are here. Mm. That's why you're doing so well. You know, and to me, that's heavy. Heavy, heavy. That is real heavy. So, but musically, I've been just tweaking with a new amp, which I can't say what it is because <laughs> <laughs> just told me to keep it quiet. But I've been tweaking. Sometimes you got to keep it quiet, man. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep it quiet because I won't lie. Do with me playing like B. I get maybe four or five mistresses a week saying which veritone switch to use, uh, which strings to use, what amp to use, what picks, and you know what guitar. And I've always told people. Just, you know, use what you're comfortable with. I can't, you know, because what's comfortable for me not not be comfortable for you. Correct. When learning B style, it was, it wasn't easy. Because I really, a lot of people don't know this, but, and I guess because I, I do it well to them, but with my influence on guitar, it wasn't B at first. Hmm. It was actually John Lee Hooker is who I wanted to play like. I could see that, yeah. And because he always, he always did the two finger, you know, on the neck and everything. I was just like, how is he? You know, he's doing so much for so little. Yeah, <laughs> so he leaned on that. He leaned on it just he, one. He, <laughs> I even, I even asked John Tavis. I said, hey, what, what key? You know, what toning was John Lee Hook using? And he was like, oh, standard E. I was like, you sure? He was like, <laughs> yeah. And you know, he's like a a blues philosopher he he's like he's really this uh, man is walking blues book he really yeah. is he, he's now, the, if he he's doesn't a musical it, encyclopedia he could he yeah, can definitely he, break down <laughs> yeah definitely he can, he can break it down and that's that's another thing I love about him. but I, I i get a lot of people you know going you know how do you how do you how do you how do you where did you you know johnny hooker was the first and I told myself, I said, nope, too many people can play John Lee Hooker. Mm. I've seen it. I said, nope. I said, okay, I like Chuck Berry. But then I said, back to the future too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
nope, can't do it. Everybody can play Johnny Be Good now and all that. So I said, who is one musician that people kind of have a hard time, you know, getting their tone, you know, just 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 milking them. Right. You know, Stevie Milt. Definitely. Stevie Milt, Albert King. You know, okay. Yeah. The Rolling Stones milked a lot of, you know, to me, mostly Chuck Berry, uh, mostly Laura Richard, you know, because they were, you know, they were influenced by a mixture of early black rock and rollers. As as well as Howlin' and Muddy. Yeah, Howlin' and Muddy, especially the animals, the yard birds. Right. Um, but I said, okay, I have to I have to think of somebody. And I said, go back to your roots. How did you learn to talk? B.B. King. He plays guitar. <laughs> so this is, I can't make this up. This is actually what I did. Fall of 2013, my mother got me a blue guitar, which I still have today and it still works and everything. And I looked at every video Mm. Not lessons, not lessons. Every concert that I could find of BB, and I watched his hands. And I'm not like forcing myself to, hey, you better pay attention. Just, just naturally, just okay. He's doing this. He's doing that. But see, my main problem was I was out of tune. I didn't know how to tune the guitar, so I was horrible. <laughs> so. I would be playing and people would go, you would sound good if you had lessons. And I said, no, I don't want to take lessons because I want to be self-taught. I want to teach myself. That's where I can just develop as I go on. Not saying you can't do that with lessons, but I feel like sometimes for certain people, when it comes to lessons, a lot of it is not you. Right. A lot of it is very technical based. It's, oh, if I work this chord here and this chord there and this chord, this, you still kind of feel empty. You're not full because you still want to put something there that's not there. And that's why, that's why I took on B because he would do so little and get so much and be full. Yes. Yes. So that's why he's my man. I mean, I have other guitarists and singers as influences, but that's what on a playing basis, my foundation is B because he just had this approach to where it was like, he doesn't have to be too loud or he doesn't have to play a million licks to get his point across. And even when you listen to stuff from the 50s to the 70s, you see the evolution of his playing. It's still the same. In the 50s, he was kind of, you know, he was all over. But when he get into the 60s and he's just hitting these notes here and there, and they're so sweet, you're just like, how? It's the same way with Albert. You're just like, how? <laughs> they're at Freddie that age, King. bro. That's that age. You know what I mean? That's that yeah, maturity. That- <laughs> uh, there's a movie. Um Colors. Did you see the movie Colors? Yes, saw the movie Colors, yes. Do you remember what uh, Robert Duvall, I believe his name was, said to Sean Penn? He said, you know, there was the, the bull and his son, the calf. And the calf said, Daddy, let's run down there and 
I'm going to keep it clean, have sex with one of those cows. And the father said, the bull said, no, son, let's walk down there and do it with them all. (laughs) You know, and that's that, you know, that's that B.B. King, that Albert King, you know, I done did all this. Now I'm just going to lay on this because I can. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's the thing. That's that's the beauty of it because it wasn't, oh, they were young. That's what. No, it was the learning of time. You don't have to play a million notes in this, you know, 10 or 30 second box. You don't have to. You can, if that's what you want to do, by all means. But you don't have to. It's not, it's not written, it's not written in a law that says, hey, if you're gonna do music, you better play a lot of notes in 30 seconds. And I mean <laughs> it doesn't say that. No. And I'm not down to notes who do it, but it's just, it's just, oh, it's just beautiful to me. Well, you know, it it is it definitely is a skill set to be able to play a billion notes within a, a small phrase. But in police, forgive me, that's not the blues, that's shredding. And that's what kind of yeah. happened to the blues. That's why it's so easy for someone to do rock and say they're doing the blues. Because there's, there's kind of this yeah. convoluted idea that, that and it's, it, it, it wasn't. I mean, for me, my school of thought is Chuck Berry is the blues. I say that culturally. Heritage-wise, yeah. musically, he'll tell you he wasn't playing no blues. He was the rock. He was one of the fathers of rock and roll. Yeah. So you you see, so him 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 playing at at that speed. He wasn't playing the blues. Jimi Hendrix, who has we we we've, we've heard him play the blues. I mean, he played yeah. behind Buddy Guy for Christ's sake. Yeah, but. His popular music, he'll tell you wasn't the blues, but he he's a bluesman. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because th- there are several players out there even still today who will say, "I'm not a bluesman. I'm a musician." Right. You know, and I respect it. You know, you label yourself what you want to, and I guess because sometimes it is difficult to just be set in one category. But see, I go back to B because I have watched a lot of his interviews and he would always say, oh, I'm proud to be a bluesman. But he's out here taking a blues voice, a blues sound with maybe rock sounding music in the background, a pop sounding music in the back. But his voice and his plan, he's saying, oh, yeah, that's blues because I'm the leader. I'm playing blues licks. So even though this music back here might be a little hard and upbeat, these lyrics are still blues. You know? That's right. So <laughs> I feel like if we go back, if if you know, if artists went on that type of level where it's, oh, these are blues licks, these are blues lyrics, but the music is a little different, people will go, they're a musician, but they're also a blues musician. Right. I feel like you, yeah, it's it's okay. Like I said, it's okay to put yourself in a little category if you want to. Uh, but like I said, the ones who just say I'm a musician, you, you gotta 
you, you got to look at it, though. If you're a musician and you play, and let's say in your concert you play classical piano, then the second set you do rock and roll, and the third set you finish with jazz. The audience is going to go, oh, yeah, he, he's, he's a jazz musician. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a rock guitarist. Oh, yeah. He's a he's a classical piano. Player. But the musician may say, but I'm just a musician. Right. Right. But see, it's just what to me, what really matters is. Where do you want to go? What is your journey? What is your point? My point is, as I told the fellas, as I've told my family. My point is doing my part and keeping blue music alive. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to bust out with the most, you know, Delta blues song in history, you know, or the <laughs> most, you know, funk blues song. Here. No, that means that I'm going to do my best to put forth and working with other genres and mixing in with blues, but keeping it blues. Right. Which I feel is why B was labeled as a king of the blues guitar, why Albert, Freddie, because they both, I mean, excuse me, the trio, the three of them, really mixed funk with blues, gospel with blues, uh, rock with blues, pop with blues. Soul you can't blues. tell me that they did. Yeah, soul blues. You can't tell me they did. I mean, you just can't. Be has a whole album called Mr. Blues where he does a um, a Tony Bennett song. Right. You see what I mean? So it's okay. like it's it's how you deliver. <laughs> it's how you yes. deliver. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, and um, I mean, I'm sure we all speak about this off air when we're amongst the brothers about what actually qualifies as yeah. blues, right? And what what can be inserted that won't remove blues. I, I, but you mentioned keeping blues alive. I, I want to talk about that phrase because coming from you, coming from Marquise, Quan, we can go down the list of everybody's name. Even some of us down here on the ground level that many people don't know about. I, that phrase doesn't trigger anything because I understand when it's coming from the, the children of the blues people. But that phrase, when it's applied by other people, somewhat triggers uh, something in me because it's almost like this idea of Columbus finding a place that was already inhabited. So when when I hear uh, people saying white organizations or, or what have you saying they're keeping the blues alive, do you feel that omits us as Black bluesmen and women. It does put, it puts a lot, to me, it puts a lot of, uh, it kind of puts a boundary on us. It kind of, it kind of puts a, wait right there, pal. 
for some reason. And I feel like just like you were speaking earlier about the older blues and speaking of young white fellas saying elderly bluesmen, you know, in the so-called blues rediscovery. I the term keeping the blues alive is not saying the blues is dying. I'll tell you that right now, because the blues is far from dying. Go back again to my statement on society. It's society that's trying to wipe it out. Mm. It's society that's trying to change it. So it does, like you stated, when these you know white organizations say, oh, we're keeping the blues alive. But are you, though? Mm. What's, what's, is, is your reason for it to just get your money and be happy? Or do you actually care about the term and about the movement that we consider today as Black Lives Matter? Because if that's the case, then Black Blues should matter too. Mm. Now, if I said I'm keeping Black Blues alive, people will lose their minds. That is true. Well, the blues is just a child of music. It's not, it's not about race. Okay, if it's not about race, why are you so mad? You know, Dick Gregory used to say these are the games they play. Yes, sir. You coin these terms sometimes to, uh, I think my generation call it, to, to get clout. You know, you right. want to be seen. Right. I think you want that term right now. I think the new term right now is capping. I think I heard a young folk say that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah. That, that's how my pay grade. I'm, I'm way capping. too old. <laughs> but you, your actions, you know, speaking louder than words. You know, we're keeping the blues alive. How? Is your money going into Muddy Waters home in Chicago that for a long time was stated to be torn down? Mm. Is it? Is the juke joints in Mississippi that alone cash, especially during the pandemic, is your organization raising that money for that? Mm. Are you going to raise that money to put it, to finally get a tombstone for some of these bluesmen who don't have tombstones? They're buried on the... Uh, Backside of a plantation that they used to live on, mm. you know, Indeed. that have no next to king. Are, are you putting this money into any real heritage and cultural research that could really benefit not only just the blues community, but the black blues community? Anybody, you know, something can I'm saying. I'm sorry, I, I, because you said something oh, very specific, and, and I want to kind of flip that over, because there's also those non-Black musicians or non-Black enthusiast fans and the like that, well, white ones, but there's other, you know, there's other ethnicities and, and races that uh, appreciate what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And honor... Where in respects where it comes from and who it belongs to, what what can we do to to kind of bridge the gap in regards of showing a stance, a, a multicultural stance that we all in unison, black, white, and whatever else you are, understand and respect 
the, the, the culture and traditional expression and, and that none of us collectively are, are, are bashing anyone. We're trying yeah. to uh, uh, give an understanding, right? Yeah. I feel like if some of the older heads would reach out, because as I stated, the world is getting selfish and even the old heads are getting selfish. Mm. You know, they'll say, oh yeah, that brother can play. I'm going to help him get to where he needs to be. And they don't do it. Mm. Now I'm not saying that they don't have a life and that they should put their life on hold to solely focus on that musician or that young man or that young woman. But I feel like if there was more communication and connection with our elders, with our youngsters, with our blacks, with our whites, with our Hispanics, and so forth, then understanding just needs to be there. We saying, when we say keeping the blues alive, we saying that we have to keep this art that we created not only in the rightful hands, but we also have to keep it back on that level in the 60s that they admired so much, we have to keep it on that level that it was then when the songs were going, hey, we rediscovered Howlin' Wolf. Right. We rediscovered John Lee Hook. We, we have to put it back on that type of level where it is a lot of us, but also other ethnicities up there with us. And they can probably say, I, I play the blues because of these people's sacrifices, of these people's living, of just who they are, period. You know, Santana, I give a lot of credit to Santana because with him being of a Hispanic background, he always praises the blues. He always say who his idol was, you know, when it came to blues. And I applaud him for that because many don't. Right. Many just say, oh, well, I heard my dad playing a T-Bone Walker record. So, yeah. And that's it. But Santana, he thinks you can you can see it. That he's like, oh, I'm, first time I saw B, I heard him. And that's when I said I, I want to do. To me, that's a big inspiration. Yes. Because this person didn't even have to directly talk to you and say, right. hey, be a part of this. Right. Something in your heart. It has to be an understanding on a mental and emotional level, keeping the blues alive. I know the blues. Sir, if you were fed with a silver spoon, the only blues you got is if you got some credit card fraud going on. That's just about it. <laughs> or your spoons ain't real silver. Right. <laughs> if you ain't had a moment where you were a kid, and your mom struggled to pay the light bill or the rent, or they cut the lights off anyway, say, I got to rent out a hotel for a few days because her insulin needs to stay cold. That's the blues. But see, nobody want to talk about, nobody wants to talk about the realness of the blues. They just want to talk about the notes, right. the beat. The base. That's that's how they want to talk about. It. You don't know what what these people went through to sing and play their hearts out. You don't know. 
You'll never know because it's just not a part of you. It's just not. You can hit me with every sob story that you can. Oh, well, my sister, when she was sick with cancer, my grandmother had cancer. Right. My uncle had cancer. My, my dad was a diabetic. That, that To me, that's not a good enough story to make me say, oh, yeah, you really been through it. Right. Because right, right. I have to say it, no race in this world, when it comes to the United States of America, has suffered the way black people have. No. 400 years. More than that, actually, but yeah. More than that, actually. <laughs> More than, we still, we still going through systematic racism. We still going through it. So don't, don't tell me you know the, because you don't. Mm. And the blues is not, the blues is not sad because when we sing and we play, we happy as ever. And it may be a sad song. It may be, but we are happy as ever because it's something inside of us that's being spilled out that we've been right. holding to for so long. But the problem is, though, even though we let out a little bit here and there, we still ain't let it all out because of that, of that behind us. It's right. still there. Right. There's systematic racism, that gentrification is 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 over us like a shadow. It's just there. So that means you can't the blues get rid of your own there. shadow. You just can't. Right. So the blue even is still even there. in your coffin, you can't get rid of your shadow because somebody shine a light on your dead body in the coffin. You see your shadow on the coffin. <laughs> you can't, that, that, that's you can't a blue. That's a blues lyric right there. You need to write that down quick. <laughs> I mean, even in your casket they shine a light on you your shadow there yes your shadow is there so that's why we complain that's why we march that's why we pl play this music because we're not saying you can't play it we're not saying that we saying give credit where it's due we saying if you send here making millions and trillions of dollars of something that we created Hey, that family or that musician is old something. Because you recorded that song. Absolutely. You recorded that song. When they was, when they wrote, you know, my woman just left me, I feel so bad. That was that was a part of them. And it's written by them. I'm sorry, even if they have no next can, I feel like some funds need to go to something. Even if they last material items are in a museum, donate to that museum. That's how you can keep it alive. Right. Because if the Blues Museum and Clark said is to go down today, who gonna save it? Great question. Great question. Who gonna save it? Do you think, and this is no disrespect to them, it's just it's just a common sense thing. Do you really think Jimmy Vaughn or Clapton are gonna hold a big concert and say, Hey, you guys, we raised $50 million to keep the deaths. No. I definitely don't think Eric Clapton would do that. Um, but at the same token, we got to remember people like Janis Joplin. Yeah. Who 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 made sure um, Big Mama Thornton got her her, her just dues. We, you know, and, you know, but I, I, I do not, I will, I, I, I'm sorry, but, and, and, and I, because I try to walk in the spirit, I work to be a forgiving man. So I say this uh, carefully, 
But I there's I, I really there's no way in hell I believe that Eric Clapton would do anything for anything black other than appropriate appropriate and take a dollar. But that's neither here nor there. No, I mean <laughs> it, it's just saying the fact that we know the ones who so-called praise this music are not going to. Cause it's just because to them when they read it. You know, Blues Museum to be demolished March 31st or whatever. They're going to go, oh, man, that's horrible. Well, it was nice, you know, you know, seeing that place when I did. Hope they can, you know, hope they find a way to do it. Hope a fundraiser starts or something. Right. And it shouldn't be that way. If you love it so much, if you so-called feel it, then there shouldn't be a problem with you going, hey, let me talk to my accountant see how much we pull it in and what we can donate without hurting my personal bills, you know, whatever, and assisting us because we can't let this die. Because well, it's a part of us. Well, you know something, bro? I, I have to say on that, I, I agree with you, but I also have to say that we, as a pe- our people, need to take accountability and, and start preserving our stuff because we... You know, that, that's like the last piece of chicken sitting there. It's been sitting there for two hours. Somebody going to grab it. We can't yeah. come back and be like, yo, man, you just grabbed that last piece of chicken. How dare you? You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Somebody, we, 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 yeah. have to, <clears throat> we have to work to, to save the institutions and the expressions of our people. That's our job. Now, right. you know, I get what you're saying. I agree. You, you, you know, y'all made a lot of money off us. <clears throat> it's only right that you reciprocate and, 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 and hold us down. But we have to be more diligent and honor our stuff much better and each other for that matter. Because, I mean, you know, you're right. if we don't honor each other, it's, it's going to be really hard for us to honor our traditions, right? It's, you're right. And, I, and I'm glad that you say that because I actually was talking to John Tavius one night. And I say, you know, I see a lot of my peers, and these are people I grew up with, who will post something about, um, say, for example, a person's weight. I say, you know, I think it's funny that I see, uh, you know, a woman post a picture of a woman saying, girl, working. You're big and you're beautiful. Do your thing. But then when they see a big guy, oh, he too fat. I can't talk about that. Mm. And that's amongst our people. I'm not saying it doesn't happen with whites, but I see this a lot with our culture because we've been brainwashed via television, social media, excited that this is a certain look. This is okay. This is not okay. Right. So when you state that about us doing our own part. Oh, yeah. It's like I tell people all the time when it comes to Black Lives Matter movement, when it comes to civil rights, period. They're not going to take us serious until we take us serious. Correct. That's the only way. Because what we did with George Floyd, I'm pretty sure a lot of them who are for being racist and racism said, oh, they did this 50 years ago. Let them march. Right. Right. Oh, they riding? They did this 50 years ago. Let them ride. Same thing happened with Rodney King. Let them ride. 
Mm. Let them fight. It, it, it happens. Let them march. We don't care. Mm. They did it. They'll be give it a month or two. They'll be quiet. Mm. You see what I mean? Now it's like I, I see, I it's see. like we kind of it's like they kind of already know the plan. Right. When we got to come at it differently, where we where before we go march, we huddle up in our own secret side and we go, "Hey, you love me? Hell yeah, I love you. I don't even know you, but I love you." That's what I'm talking about. So when we go out there and somebody hit me in the head with a nice stick, what you gonna do? I'm gonna push them off you. That's what I want. Teamwork. That's what we need. Teamwork amongst ourselves. We took. We have been just trains. It's been just repeated, repeated, and repeated so much of this is what's okay, this is what's not okay. It's okay to have the unpopular opinion because I can respect your unpopular opinion. What I can't respect, though, is if if your sole goal is to disrespect me. Right. So if if you're being nitpicky about this is okay and this not okay, you might as well just leave it alone because you're not trying to see this at this stuff. You're seeing it at this stuff. Correct. Correct. I'm better than I'm better than you because I look like this. You pretty much doing the same thing that they are doing to us. Correct. But you too blind to see it. What is wrong with me? Nothing. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Then why you got a problem with me? I don't know. Oh, I know why. Because of the system. What's mm. what you what's being taught to you? But if we teach each other, hey, love your fellow man, love your fellow woman. Y'all always want to post Bible scriptures and stuff, but you're only following a certain part of the Bible. Wink, wink. Yeah, nobody's perfect. He gave us free will. That's what it say. But my thing is this. If you actually want change, if you actually want some type of advancement, you got to have some type of teamwork. You got to throw away your little, your little crap to the side and say, you know what, even though he or this is that, we can work something out. No, Which, a great example of that to me is Regina King's new film, One Night in Miami. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. I need you, to see you it. Have, you have a boxer, football player, Muslim, talented African-American singer. All of these men, great individuals, in the same room. And when I tell you, it really relates to today, especially on that topic of you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that, but we can still make a way. Yes, sir. It sends chills through your spine because you're like, they had arguments. They had disagreements, but at the end of the day, they are now and still are today some of the world's greatest entertainers, greatest leaders, greatest role models, greatest influence musically. You can't, you can't sit here and say Sam Cooke was a bad singer. You can, but it's going to be a million people that's going to tell you, you're wrong. Or crazy. <laughs> He's a great singer. <laughs> he did a change is going to come. That's the only song we know. He's a great singer. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a powerful, I, I, I say you watch it, but it's a prime example of that you can be different and have different views, but still have a positive outcome. 
I agree, man. Just try. It works with the same thing in the blues. I, I, I never, I never pull that crap. Oh, well, well, fish sounds rocky, so that's rock. No, I said, well, it's about time <laughs> somebody right. got the spotlight. Right. Then when I came across John Tavis and saw him get nominated along with Fish, I said two words: Black Power. Yeah. Because that means we being seen now. The yeah. the newcomers are being seen now. Buddy has had his light. BB has had his light. Now us, we when I saw those two faces, when I saw Bobby get hit, finally, finally, wink, wink, right. get his nomination, actually won. I was just like, it is about time. Yeah. Because give credit where it's due. Especially in the blues category. How are you gonna have a blues <laughs> category and, and there's no blues people nominated? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How? And I tell you how the society don't want them. They don't want, they don't, they're not putting in the effort to go, let's see if we can find some young blues players. Okay. Let's see. We got Stephen Hall here. This guy's out of Wisconsin. Write his name down. You don't have that going on. You just have, hey, there's this person with 1,500 million views on YouTube and Facebook. We should sign. Prime example, the, the little boy in Walmart yodel. Mm. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was cute. <laughs> it was cute. Right. I, I, you know, I like a little country. You know, that's, that's cute. But then he actually gets signed to a label. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Maybe I should go in the middle of Target and start yodel. Can I get signed now? No. Right. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try something that's more more blackish. I'll rap. Uh, I know. Right. You see what I mean? Like, like no, it, it has to be. It, it, some, I would just wish there was this team that could just they could say, hey, I know some cats. And I'm telling you, they they got it. And and we can we can do it. And it's right. not saying as a money thing, it's saying is these people are genuinely and authentically talented. They're all self-taught, you know. Yeah. That's what makes them so wrong. That's what makes the crowd love them. They put on these great shows and how people how do people not know them? That's what that's the effect that we need. How do people not, how do you not know this person? Or have you been living in a hole? <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> right, you know, right. And yes, it's going to take ourselves. It's going to take, it's just going to take a lot of understanding and communication. And me, my mom always says, one of the things that she hated about me so much is that I'm persistent. <laughs> when I go for something, I go for it. Well, that's, that's the only way I to get it. Go. That's the only way to get it, bro. That's the only way. No, man. And I don't know if it's demanding me or what, but <laughs> I'm just <laughs> persistent as ever. Somebody tell me no, I say, okay, but I'm I'm going to get it. Right. I mean, that's the only way but to I get it. But I just told you. No. I, I didn't say I was going to get it from you. I said I'm going to get it. Right. 
and that's really the only way. You know, uh, man, bro, it's been great building with you. Um, we got to do this again. But, but before we end the show, please tell everyone where they can find you. Like social oh, yes. media and everything. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, on Instagram, it is DK Harold. You actually just type in my name, DK Harold. It's D K H A R R E L L. And that uh, profile will be a picture of me holding my guitar, uh, leaves pictures in black and white. On Facebook, of course, D.K.Harold, spelled the same way. Um, not on Twitter, really. 